Open your Bible to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18. And as Matthew said, it is never a chore to come here. Um, I do have a heart for our region. I love our region. I love our group of churches. But I love this church. Um, it was nine years ago that we were here, um, which is insane how fast time really goes. Um, and our family has changed. Matthew kind of set me up. He asked me to talk about, essentially, talk about sovereign grace and talk about my family. And if I do that, I'm never going to get to the sermon. Uh, but okay, uh, so I'm here with my wife, Tiffany, and um, we actually left two kids behind today because one of them is old enough to drive now. Again, life is crazy. So, um, so Caleb and Isaac are back at our home church, and they're serving on sound team and other stuff there and drove themselves there this morning. Um, and we're here with Aaron and Faith and Ruth and Judah, who just headed out to the five-year-olds, and our littlest, Gideon, um, who's back in the nursery. Uh, so God has richly blessed us. Um, I always enjoy coming here. It's, it's memories, it's seeing old uh, faces, but also seeing new faces and getting to know what God is doing among all of you. Uh, so that's, that's a joy. Uh, well, um, you know, Happy New Year. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. Here we are, like, it, it's about to be 2018. Um, it, <clears throat> this is kind of embarrassing. This year, um, I was writing a check. And you know what you have to do when you write a check, right? You have to write the date at the top. So I was writing a check, and as I wrote the check, I actually started the date, the year for the date, with the number 19. <laughs> yeah? Like as in 1990-something, you know? Now, there... What's so scary about that is an entire generation has been born and grown up and come into adulthood since you could write 19-something on a check and it mean anything. Um, so I'm a little behind, I guess, is what I'm saying. So here we are. It's 20, 2018. Uh, but this is the time of year, you know, when we're, we tend to look back, we tend to think about this past year, maybe how God has blessed us, um, maybe, maybe particular things that have happened this year that you're glad the year is over. Um, and we tend to think about next year. And as a culture, what our culture likes to do is think in terms of resolutions, right? What am I going to do different this year? How am I going to change this year? What am I going to do this year? And the passage that we're looking at this morning has to do with a, a resolution I think I have. It, it might be my most frequent resolution. It has to do with prayer. It has to do with with, with coming to God consistently and regularly in prayer. I, I don't recall a year where I have not desired to grow more in prayer, where I haven't desired to, to be closer to God in prayer and, and to, be, to be more consistent and to be more wholehearted in prayer. But I face a problem at this time of year. Um, and I think the older you get, the more likely it is to to kind of feel this way. You know, once you've made a New Year's resolution and you lost five pounds in January and then gained it back by February and 10 more by March, several years in a row, once you've made resolutions to change in this way or that way and, and they've kind of petered out, and once you've been through year after year of desiring to grow in prayer, we can find ourselves disheartened by the whole idea sort of discouraged by the whole concept like yeah i okay great the pastor's going to tell me i should pray more i can't wait for that one you know and we can begin to be 
so aware of our past failures, sort of the accumulation of years, almost plaque building up on our minds, that we, we can lose faith for God to be at work in us, for God to actually bring about change, and we can lose heart when it comes to prayer. And that's why I am so grateful for God's word. Because what we have to do, I mean, resolutions, they can, they can be a good thing. They can be healthy. Um, but they're not healthy if what they do is just point us back on ourselves and back on ourselves and back on ourselves. We need God's word so that we can focus up on him and up on him and up on him as we head into the new year. Because if you want to know where hope is, it's not in here. It's in looking up to him. So let's allow his word to just wash over us this morning to fill our minds uh, with, with truth that probably you know, but we need to know again as we go to it. So Luke chapter 18, and we're going to be in the first eight verses together, the parable that Jesus tells. Let's read his word together. Luke 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? God's word. It says in verse 1, He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. Now, he told them a parable. Now, parables, kind of by definition, can be a little difficult to understand. Right? Jesus is speaking in a kind of roundabout way about a truth. He's not just straight out teaching it. He's telling a story about it. And so sometimes we can come to parables and, and kind of you know, scratch our heads. and what, what is this all about? But not this one. This is not that parable. This parable tells us what it's about before we even get started. In fact, you don't need the parable to know what the parable is about because verse 1 says, he told them a parable to the effect that they had always to pray and to not lose heart. Now, I want you to see this morning as we look at God's word that the purpose of this parable is to produce an effect in us. He told them a parable to the effect that they would always pray and not lose heart. He did not tell them a parable merely to inform their mind, merely to tell them something different, merely to, to teach them something they didn't know. He did teach them something they didn't know, but so that it would have an effect upon them. He told a parable with a purpose to the effect that they would pray and not lose heart. I want that effect in 2018 when it comes to prayer between me and God. I want that effect for you, for this dear church in this coming year. 
To gain this effect, Jesus introduces two persons, a judge and a widow. It's a, it's a simple story with just two people. And so that makes for the very complicated two-point outline that I have this morning. We will look first at the judge and then at the widow. Now, as we begin this, we have to remember that this is a parable about prayer, and that's told to us up front. So as we begin to think about this, we can identify how does this parable relate to prayer? Well, clearly, there's someone praying, that's the widow, and there's somebody who's being prayed to, and that's the judge. And so we are meant to see a comparison between the judge and God, right? The judge receives prayer, and God receives prayer. So we're meant to see a comparison. But if what we expect to find is a straight-up comparison, we will be very disappointed because what it actually is is a contrast between God and this judge. The judge, first of all, is wicked. The judge is wicked. It says in verse 2 that he neither feared God nor respected man. He did not fear God. That's, that's the definition of wickedness. The, the scriptures say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So this is a man who's, who's not living in wisdom. He's not walking before God. He has, he has no reference to God. No concern for his statutes. No concern for his ways. No concerns for his precepts. No concerns for the law of God. Do you hear the irony in this? He's a judge with no concern for the law of God. None. Yet every day, every day, without fear of God, without an awareness of the divine lawgiver, he mounts the bench and would give justice to those beneath him. He would strike fear in the hearts of those under him, but has no fear about the one who is over him. This is a wicked man. He admits it to himself. He's not self-deceived. He admits it in verse 4. Though I neither fear God nor respect man, he knows clearly who he is and that he is unmotivated by righteousness and justice. And this is the one that the widow has to come and stand before. Have you ever been in a courtroom situation? Have you ever had to stand before a judge and have them deliver a verdict? That seems to me, in human experience, one of the most tense, uh, scary things to go through, particularly when the stakes are high. Uh, when I was, uh, before I was at Kingsway nine years ago, before that, I was getting like ancient history, I was, I was in the Navy, and and when you're in the Navy, you're, you're under this entirely different set of laws. It's a, it's a strange thing. It's called the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And it's a set of laws that apply only to those who are in the military. Totally different than the laws we're all under as Americans. Um, and, and, and under those laws, it sets up certain uh, sort of people that will be judges and, and the punishments that they can give. And in the Navy, it's probably not surprising, the person who has the authority in a ship to be the judge is the captain. He gets to be the judge. And so if you're a sailor on a ship, the captain is judge and jury over you. 
And let's say you do some kind of uh, infraction, you know, and these are <laughs> young people in the Navy, right? 18, 19, 20 years old, and maybe goes out and gets drunk or something like that, and misses the movement of the ship. Ship goes on without him. And then later he gets to catch up with the ship and will then stand before the captain. And it was, it was always a bit awe-inspiring for me just to watch this proceeding. They set out an entirely different uh, tablecloth on the wardroom table that's only used for this time. Everybody knows what that color tablecloth is for. A little podium there for the captain. And the chain of command comes in for the young man who's been accused, and then he walks in, and there are no rules of evidence, and there's no appeal. And the captain gets to make the decision. And so the young man can speak, and the captain can ask questions, and the chain of command can weigh in, and then you just wait. And out of his mouth will come whatever comes. And again, there is no appeal. And I was shocked as I could to understand that this uniform code. The things that he could do, like at his word, he could confine that sailor to the ship for 60 days. Essentially turning the ship into prison for 60 days. Um, he, could, he could reduce that young man's rank by one. And having done that, he could take away half his pay for two months. This is enormous, the impact it has on a person. Um, and then, and this is amazing, like in 2017 or 2018, um, if he so desired, he could put the young man on bread and water for three days. Like, what year is this? That's amazing, you know? But just to watch these proceedings and to see somebody stand before the captain and know my fate is in his hands. That's an awe-inspiring thing. And we had a great captain. This was a wicked judge that she had to stand before. He was an evil man. And, and her fate was in his hand. And she had to go to him with it. Yet, she went. Still, she went. She went before this man and laid her request before him. In fact, repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly and again and again and again and again, she hunted him down. Friends, when you go to pray, you do not stand before an unrighteous judge. You do not stand before a wicked judge. You don't stand before a self-concerned judge. You go and stand before the standard of righteousness for the universe. Now, if you want to measure how, how righteous God is, you know, you kind of get out like the tape measure. There is no tape measure for righteousness by which we measure God. God is the tape measure of righteousness by which we measure everything else. He's the standard of it. He is righteousness himself. And here's the widow standing before this unrighteous judge time after time after time after time. And yet we have the opportunity to go before the righteous God. Do we have the persistence she did? This parable can put me to shame. Do we not persist at least as much as she would when she knows whose hands she's putting her request in. And we know whose hands we are putting our requests in. Oh, let us persist 
in prayer. The judge is wicked. And the second thing we can see about him is that he's annoyed. The judge is annoyed. He's, he's irritated and angry at her. He doesn't want her around. He doesn't appreciate the way she keeps hounding him. Verse 4 and 5, we can see his mindset. It says, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. She was bothering him. He was annoyed at her and irritated. Now, take note. It's not that he heard her case. It's not that he finally said, you know what? She's right. On the merits of the case, I can see she deserves the, this good judgment. And I, doggone it, I ought to do what's right and do that for her. That is not what's happening. He was so irritated at her he just wanted her to go away and he couldn't figure out another way to make her go away I bet you he had tried I bet you he had shut the doors to the courtroom and hoped nobody would open them back up you know give me some peace and quiet I bet he went out the back door through the judge's chambers to try to get home and I bet she was waiting for him right there follow him through the marketplace asking him and asking him and asking Maybe find out where he lives and kind of stand out at the end of the driveway and, you know, shout out her request as he drives by on the horse or whatever he was riding, right? I mean, she was, she was after him and he was annoyed at her. I don't know about you, but when I think of asking somebody for something that I really need, I don't think about the most effective way being let me really rub them the wrong way, you know? Let me really get under their skin and see if that works, you know? And yet, and yet she persisted and persisted and persisted until he finally surrendered and gave her what she sought. I think part of what Jesus is doing here in this parable is showing us how we can tend to think of God at times. Not just a contrast, it's actually revealing something about how he knows how we tend to think about God. We tend to think of him as the unjust one. And I'm not getting what I deserve. We tend to think, oh, he doesn't want to hear from me again. We tend to think he could actually be annoyed. Actually not really want to hear. Actually be fed up with us by now. And yet, Jesus told us this parable to the effect that we ought always to pray. Because these, these are not truths about God. These are lies in our own imagination. The truth about God is, first, he gave us this parable that we ought all, always to pray. He longs for us to bring our requests to him. That's the purpose of this parable. But there are sweet passages throughout God's word that remind us again and again and again and call us again and again and again to pray to him. Hebrews exhorts us to with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Philippians reminds us that the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests be made known unto God. Jeremiah 
prophet speaks in the voice of God to us and says, Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. The psalmist similarly in Psalm 50 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. And then perhaps my favorite in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, where we're told to cast all, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Friend, if, if, if in your private moment of, of thinking of God, if, if your heart is hard towards him, if your thoughts about God are not worthy of God, it will choke out your prayers. Cast all your anxieties on him because he's not like this judge. Because he's not self-centered and he's not unrighteous and he's not annoyed and he's not sick of hearing from you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now that wicked judge, he, he cared only for himself. He didn't care for justice. He certainly didn't care for her. And yet our God cares for us and invites us into his courtroom that he may hear our request. Two points this morning. The first, the judge, and the second, the widow. Now we may find points of similarity between ourselves and the widow. Of course, she's the one praying, and we're the ones praying. And so this is the one that we're to, to emulate, to emulate her, her frequency of prayer, her persistence in prayer, to pray always and not lose heart. But I think even as the judge illustrates some ways in which we think wrongly about God, the widow can illustrate some ways we might not think rightly about ourselves. We can think wrongly about ourselves. Because I'm not sure we see ourselves as desperately in need as this widow did. If there's anything that was true about her, she was desperate for the judge to act. Now, now, we can see that in her actions, right? I mean, she's being this persistent because clearly she's desperate for the judge to act. And yet, think, think of what it meant to be a widow at this time. These were the folks who would fall through the cracks in society and weren't caught by a safety net. She had no husband to defend her, to provide for her, to speak for her in the public square it would be hard enough just to be a widow due to old age and poverty but then you have the, the wickedness of the world coming in and preying on people you know it still happens right there's people that call up old folks on the telephone and get them to sign over bank accounts and all kinds of evil stuff she's being preyed on do you see that she has an adversary. What happened? We don't know. But she's going to the judge for justice because someone has done her wrong. Maybe when her husband died and the fields didn't get plowed for a couple years, the neighboring landowner just sort of took him over and just took the, took the land. And who's to argue? And who's to do anything? And who's going to stand up for her? Maybe, maybe it was more you know, common criminal type stuff. Somebody came and stole all her livestock. 
Maybe the, the, the hired hands left with it. Now she's got no means for anything. No food, no hope, no future. Regardless, she's been wronged in some way. We don't know the details. And we also know that she couldn't write it. She couldn't do anything about it. This happened to her, and it's entirely outside of her control. She didn't have the strength. She didn't have the standing. She didn't have the ability. She couldn't bring about the justice for herself that she needed. If she was to have justice, she would find it in one place and one place only, the judge. She would find justice through him or she wouldn't find it at all. He was her only hope and she knew it. And so she went to him and she went to him and she went to him and she went to him time and time again. It was, it was not her power. It was his that would win the day that would secure her justice. It was his power or nothing. One of the reasons I think we don't pray like the widow is we don't think like the widow. And we're not aware of our own desperation like she was aware. I think the purpose of this is is to help us understand a bit more of our need for God. What do you have that you haven't been given? What gift? What talent, what ability, what strength, what hope, what joy, what, what ability to get out of bed in the morning and do anything at all do you have that you did not first receive from him? And what will you have tomorrow in 2018, in 2019, for the rest of your life? What will you have that does not come from him? Nothing. We have nothing that doesn't come. And so when you think about prayer and, you know, what, what, are, what are you praying for? Is it, is it more holiness in your life? The ability to follow God more fully? Is it praying for prayer? Praying that you would be more of a woman of prayer, more of a man of prayer? Is it praying for the salvation of your parents, of your neighbors, of your children? Which you cannot affect. What are you praying for? And have you, have you brought this mindset to bear that if I am to receive an answer, it will not be through my effort. If I am to receive what I want, it will not be through my strength. If I am to gain what I need, it will not be through my power. If I am to have what I need, it will be through him and him alone. He is the only one that can provide all that I need. He's the only one. And so what am I, what am I to do? I'm, I, I have to go to him and go to him and go to him and go to him. There's, there's no backup plan. The widow had no backup plan. Friends, we need to understand that we have no backup plan. That if we're to receive anything good in this life or the next, it will come from him. And him alone. That's it. Desperation fuels prayer. It fuels it. Thinking rightly about ourselves and rightly about our God will fuel prayer. 
Now, there's another reality about this widow, which is different than us. You know, she walked into the courtroom. I don't know what the courtrooms were like back then. Maybe it was the gates of the city. Who knows? But she walked, we'll say, into the courtroom. And she was entirely unknown by this judge until he got to know her and didn't like her because she kept coming around. But otherwise, he did not know her, right? He didn't know her. He did not love her. He could care less about her. About her, about her case, about what she had to say. Who cares? He cared about number one. That's what he cared about. He did not care about her. He did not know her. How are we different from her? Verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who call to him day and night? Jesus could have said anything there. He used one word to describe those who come to God in prayer. He used the word elect. That is a, that is a powerful word he chose to put there. He could have said his people, which would also be true. Right? Will not God give justice to his people? Certainly God will give justice to his people. They're his people. But there's meaning in this word, elect. The, the concept of election, it means that God foreknew us before the foundations of the world. That if you're in Christ now, that he predestined you to be in Christ then, before he created the heavens and the earth. He set his affection upon you in Christ, but upon you before the world began. And so when you walk into God's courtroom, not exactly unknown, long has he known you. You you may have chosen God in 2017. Praise God if you did. What a year. You may have chosen to follow him in the last decade. I guarantee you've chosen to follow him in the last 80 years. Okay? That's everybody in here. He chose you a long time before that. He knew you long before you knew him. He loved you long before you loved him. And it's his courtroom that you're entering. He's the one that before you were born set his affection on you and sent his son for you. And he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also in him graciously give us all things? And then at a time in your life when you were not yet seeking God, He sent his spirit so that you would begin seeking God. He opened your eyes to see Christ. Long has the Father loved his elect. And it is his courtroom that we come to. We are welcomed when we come, even though she was not. So, would you be encouraged to pray through this? I would encourage you to look at the end of the parable as our greatest encouragement. Because at the end of this parable, we see that the woman, she went to this judge again and again who was totally wicked. She went to this man who was personally annoyed with her. She went out of her desperation. She went as one unknown, no clout, no affection, no love. And yet, and yet, And yet, that wicked and annoyed judge who didn't know her at all 
and cared for her even less. He granted her request. The end of the parable shows her receiving what she came to ask for. The woman, though she didn't know the judge, got what she came for. The woman, though she had annoyed the judge, got what she came for. The woman, though she went before a wicked judge, she got what she came for. Now, if she got what she asked for, if she got what she was requesting, oh, friends, then when we go before our God, ought not we expect to receive an answer to our prayer? If she got an answer, from this judge in this situation. Oh, blessed children of God, elect before the foundation of the world. Ought not we expect great things from our great God? Ought not we expect good answers to our prayers? Now, as we go to prayer, we need to remember allowing this passage to kind of scrub our minds, getting the, the grime off the lenses that we can see ourselves and we can see our God. If you're not aware of your desperate need, you just won't pray. And if I can press that one more step, I'll just say, if you're not aware of your desperate need, the biblical name for that is pride. And you should repent. And ask God to help you see yourself rightly. And ask him to do that gently. It's a fearful thing to see ourselves rightly in all our desperation. As we go to God, we, we want to go rightly as the one who knows we have nothing to offer. And that we are desperate for him. But as we go to God, we want to think about him rightly too. We want to think about the one who is righteous and just and merciful and good and patient and long-suffering. The one who invites us from the first page of the scriptures to the last page of the scriptures to come to him, come to him, come to him, come to him with all of our requests. When we come, we want to recall true things about God. We want to think worthy thoughts about God. Recall his electing grace. Recall the sending of Christ. Recall his affection towards you. Recall the reality that in 19-something or 20-something, he sent forth his spirit and gave you new life. Recall who he is. Get your eyes up and look to him. I'm reminding you to think right thoughts of God, to think thoughts that are worthy of him. And as, as you do that, you will begin to pray differently. You will, as Christ says at the beginning, always pray and not lose heart. I love that, that that's what it says at the beginning of this parable. That the author recognizes our propensity to lose heart. And that this is here to remind us to pray always and not lose heart. That we would see who we really are and see who he really is and be refreshed in prayer and be born along in prayer, and be glad to pray. So let us pray. Let us pray the rest of today, 2017, and let us pray 
in 2018. Let's pray today and tomorrow and the next week and the next year. Let, let us be those who knock on the door and 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 we're not walking away from that door until there's an answer for the prayers that we have. Let us be persistent in prayer as this widow was persistent. Listen, I, I don't know how God will answer your prayer. And the scripture does not say how he will answer our prayer. I know that God will answer your prayer. And I know that his answer will ultimately not be disappointing. So let us persistently pray as desperate people to a gracious and merciful God. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that you would send your spirit to encourage us where we need encouragement, that we would not lose heart. Produce the effect that your word was given to us to do. Lord, I pray for each one here, especially those who have been and are discouraged in prayer, that you would produce the effect causing us to not lose heart and to pray always. You are worthy of these prayers. We are in need of you and your answers, and we are so grateful that you are our generous and good God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.